Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Saffold Podcast. Before I get to today's guest, I got to plug one thing. Our buddy Jackie Martling, who comes on the show all the time, he took me to the Friars Club, so I told him I'll plug his new book, The Joke Man, About a Stern. I didn't read it yet. I just got it. He signed it. It's supposed to be pretty funny. Just buy it so he stops harassing everybody. Well, it's time to get today's guest, one of my favorite accounts to follow on Twitter. You can follow him at Oyster Bay Bomber. You read him in the New York Post, Newsday, ESPN. He hosted a show back in the day on ESPN Radio. My buddy, Wally Matthews. What's up, Wally? Hey, Mike. How are you? Always good. Always good. Hello? Before we talk to the... Yeah, Wally, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Before we talk some baseball, I know your heart is with boxing. Three questions. Is the world going to see a Wilder Joshua fight this year? <laughs> Not this year. Next year. I think 2018. Definitely. Well, Wilder's, Wilder's got to win his fight Saturday night. You know, otherwise, everything goes down the tubes. I've seen that before. Uh, at the Barclays Center. That's right. He's fighting Stavern, who, you know, is not, I don't think is a great fighter, and he's already beaten him once. That's how he won his title a couple of years ago. I'm not real thrilled about seeing the fight again, but sometimes that kind of a fight can be a trap, especially for a guy who's looking ahead. So, I mean, before we get premature on a, on a Wilder Joshua showdown, which is the fight heavyweight boxing needs, I think, and I got a story coming out on theathletic.com about that uh, this week. Um, he's got to get past this guy. You know, you can't let your guard down at all for a moment because if you do, a lot of money goes down the toilet. And forget about the Mayweather-McGregor garbage. The Triple G-Canelo fight was a fight. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Triple G fight, obviously, it ended not the way most people thought it was. We're going to see a rematch with them guys soon? I think we will see a rematch. Uh, you know, whether they'll go to an immediate rematch, I'm not sure. It appears that Golovkin wants it, and if I were him, I'd want it right away as well. I mean, he's not getting any younger, and I think uh, we've all seen signs of deterioration in him past couple of fights. We saw it against Jacobs. We saw it against Kell Brook, and, uh, you know, obviously we saw it in the late months against Canelo. So if I was him, I wouldn't waste any time because, you know, the clock doesn't run in reverse. Favorite boxer to cover – during your whole time covering boxing? Oh, that's, you know, define your terms. Favorite in terms of guy that gave me the most to write about or a guy that I liked? You know what, the mo- that gave you the most to write about? Oh, I mean, there's no question. It was Tyson, obviously. I mean, Tyson was, and you know, it's funny, because the first, when Alex Rodriguez first joined the Yankees back in 2004, you know, he knew that I covered boxing, and he said to me, hey, you know, what was it like? to cover Mike Tyson. And I said to him, it was very much like covering you, only, you know, 10 times harder and 10 times more fun, quite honestly, because it was a never-ending soap opera, and it was, you know, it was a daily show. But in terms of guys that I liked, I mean, you know, I really loved covering guys like Iran Barkley, who probably never even heard of, a guy from New York, a middleweight, great guy. Loved covering Tommy Hearns. I loved covering uh, Larry Holmes. Loved covering Evander Holyfield. These were good guys. You know, but they weren't, they didn't provide nearly the amount of drama or, you know, Ajita, quite honestly, as Tyson did on a daily basis. Last night's baseball game, 
pretty entertaining. Was it one of the best best games you've ever seen in your life? I fell asleep. I don't even know. (laughs) That's not true. But I will tell you this: I stuck it out at one in the morning because I wanted to see if the Astros would win it in the bottom of the ninth, and when they didn't, I turned it off and found out, you know, eight hours later that they actually wound up winning the game. Well, you've been covering baseball forever. I'm the biggest Kershaw supporter. I think he's one of the two or three best pitchers I've ever seen. Can you explain him in the postseason? I've never seen a Jekyll and Hyde in the postseason like this. Have you? Well, to this degree, you know, I saw I saw some guys, you know, a columnist that I respect the other day, claiming that you Darvish's meltdown the other day was was some kind of failure of character. And I don't believe that for a minute. Uh, you know, I don't think guys get to this level unless their character is, you know, of the highest order because there's pressure, you know, at every level of the game and certainly there's pressure in regular season games too. I don't think guys just go to pieces because suddenly we're told these games are super important. I think it's a a simple matter of the fact that it's a long season. It's gotten longer and longer, you know, as the years have gone on and they've added more layers to the playoffs. I think guys are tired and I think that's why it used to be, that in the postseason you saw nothing but low-scoring games and pitchers' duels, and now you know how many home runs have we had in this World Series? A record number already, and we still got two more games to go. I think the guys are worn down. I think it's, the season is just too long. Can the Dodgers recover from what happened last night? Well, yeah, yeah, because quite honestly, I didn't think the Astros would recover after Game Five against the Yankees. You know, I thought they were pretty much done at that point, uh, and they came back to win the next two games. Why not? I mean, every day, one thing about baseball, you know this, Mike, every day is a new day, you know, and managers love to use the cliche that, you know, momentum only lasts as long as the next day starting pitcher, but that's 100% true. You know, and a team that's red hot on, on Sunday night could go ice cold on Tuesday if the opposing pitcher is, is on his game. Now, the odds are, as you know, to go back to what I just said about the length of the season and the way the guys get worn out and, you know, arms get tired and, uh, you know, we've already conditioned our pitchers to expect to go five or six innings at most. You know, 100 pitchers are getting, that, getting out of there, so I think stamina is down to begin with. You know, I, I mean, it's unlikely that a guy's going to come out and throw a shutdown game tomorrow night, but it's quite possible. I, I think it's be crazy to count out either one of these teams. You know, I saw the Dodgers only three days all year. They happened to be the three days that they came to City Field to play the Mets. And in those okay. three days, they looked like the best team in baseball. <laughs> and obviously, quality of opposition had a lot to do with that. You know, but I think they outscored the Mets something like 25-3 to three over three games, and they were just – they looked like an unstoppable machine. Now, who's to say that that team can't show up again tomorrow – game six and then uh, maybe take some of the starch out of the Astros don't forget they are going back home so yeah I think you'd have to be crazy to say that they can't come back now I just I'll tell you what I want obviously a game seven I want Kershaw to come out of the pen give us like six outs close down the game and somehow redeem somehow redeem I get so upset he's one of I live and die with the Yankees I always say it's true story my ex-wife left me because of my fanatic behavior with the Yankees but I love oh Kershaw. Well, I hope the Yankees are satisfying you. I really do. <laughs> well, you know, let's go to that because they're years ahead of schedule. <laughs> let's not go too Give me far your into it. <laughs> the Baby Bombers this year, listen, it was a hell of a ride. Your take on, you know, a little wrap-up of this year and next year going forward without Girardi and your opinion on Girardi being not re-signed, basically. All right, well, first of all, I think the team did better than I thought it would. Um, I did think they were a wild card team. You know, I never 
uh, bought into the narrative that they were going to be terrible this year. I mean, obviously, I wasn't sure which guys were going to carry them. I thought it would be Gary Sanchez. I didn't realize he was going to start the uh, the year on the disabled list, you know, spend the first month of the year on the disabled list. Um, I thought that Greg Bird would be more of a factor because he had such a terrific spring training. Um, you know, and obviously it was Aaron Judge who stepped up instead of those two guys. They came on later on in the year. Um, you know, I never foresaw Pineda going down. But then again, you know, you had other guys who I didn't foresee CC Sabathia pitching as well as he did. So I think on the whole, they pretty much had the regular season I thought they would have. I thought they were better than I thought they would be early in the year. Then they had the rough spot in the middle. But then, you know, they closed strong and they were in the, the, the divisional race to game 161. So, you know, I don't think anybody, even uh, the GM, expected that. I think they all expected them to be in contention. I didn't think they expected them to be in the hunt for the division title. So, that being said, what happens next year, who knows? I mean, it's possible Aaron Judge had a career year this year. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. happened before. It could be it's just the beginning for him. But then, again, you know, 10 years from now, we might look back on it and say, wow, he had that great 2017, and then what happened? You know? You don't know. That's why, you know, the, the, the great man himself always says you can't predict baseball. But I do think that there are enough young bats in that lineup that they will remain dangerous. I think they need a pitcher. I think they need a starting pitcher because, obviously, you know, Pineda will not be back next year. Uh, you know, Tanaka, as good as he looked at the end, still has that picking time bomb in the elbow. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Severino appears to be very good. I don't know if they're bringing CC back. So there's holes in in the rotation. Maybe they – put Chad Green back in as a starter. Maybe Jordan Montgomery, you know, goes every five days for the whole year again and, and does as well as he did this year. But I think that's a, to bolster a little bit. I also think that they need to find the solution uh, to Batances. You know, so I think he's, he's either trade him away and get something for him or fix him, you know, because he's, he's, a, he's a great weapon when he's on. Now, in terms of Girardi, um, you know, I think we've seen that he's a very prepared guy. You know, he comes to work ready every single day. He knows every single number inside and out. I think we also saw that um, he's a little rigid in his thinking. He's a little rigid in his game, uh, his in-game uh, performance. I think we saw that most of all in game two against Cleveland. You know, when he, instead of going with his gut, because, you know, he must have thought that he had a chance to win that challenge, he's waiting to hear from his technological people whether he should challenge or not. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, a baseball manager can't do that. You know, you got to make a like make a decision. You're in charge. What do you want to do? You know, and it's not acceptable to say, "Well, I didn't get the replay in time." You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to just make that call. And I think, uh, you know, even though I've been told by people in the organization that that had nothing to do with uh, the decision to let him go. In fact, I believe the decision to let him go was made earlier in the season. I think they decided we're not going forward with this guy. I think it is a symptom of the reason why he's not there anymore. And uh, that reason would be that he is very rigid and he's kind of joyless. And I'm not saying you have to have fun in games. You don't have to be Joe Madden and bring penguins into the clubhouse or whatever crazy (laughs) stuff he does. But you do need to uh, relieve some of the tension on your players. And when you've got an older roster, and I wrote a column on New York NYSportsDay.com about this last week that everybody should read because I think it's a good one. It's still the best one I've ever read on Girardi's firing, if I must say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) When you have a veteran roster, when you have guys like Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez and Carlos Beltran and Mark Teixeira, they don't pay any attention to the manager anyway. If the guy wants to walk through the clubhouse like a drill sergeant, you know, with a tight look on his face and, you know, make everybody nervous, they don't care. They shrug it off. They go out and play their game. 
when you've got young guys like Bird and Judge and Sanchez, who have some problems at times. I mean, Sanchez is a catcher who can't catch the baseball. It's a problem. Uh, Judge is a guy that strikes out 200 times a year and, you know, is prone to huge slumps. Uh, You know, Bird might be injury prone. When you have a guy who walks around like that and puts a lot of pressure on guys, when you have young players like that who don't really have a track record yet, that can rub off on them. And I think the Yankees saw that. I think they realized he may not be the guy for a young roster. And we also know Girardi is not particularly trustworthy with young guys. He doesn't really trust them. He'll always go with the veteran guy, given the choice. So I think some of that rubs off. I think we saw it with the Kansas. I think we saw it late in the season. And I was very, uh, I, I was very much opposed to what he did in game uh, five with the Kansas. And they were up, what, it was eight nothing. And he brought the Kansas in, Right. Yeah, two walks, they take him right out. He pulled him out. It's like, what the hell? Now, well, you know, if with, this is not the game where a guy needs to work out his problems, he can't give up nine runs. It's impossible. I, you know, and if he gives up four <laughs> runs, you get him out of there. But let him get a couple of outs. Pulled him out right away. To me, that sent a message to Detantis. I don't trust you. And Detantis, going forward, is always going to be looking over his shoulder if Girardi's the guy in the dugout. So, I mean, look, not, not one of those things is the reason, but the whole picture put together – is why the Yankees, I believe, said this guy is not the guy for a young team and what's going in the other direction. And frankly, I think they're right. With, two, uh, with that being said, 2018, the manager of the Yankees, who you think can bring him in that direction would be who? I have the slightest idea, quite honestly. And I'm, I'm not going to even hazard a guess. One thing about Brian Cashman that I've learned in all the years I've covered him is that whatever you think he's going to do, he generally doesn't do. He does something else. I mean, the latest uh, name we're hearing is Jerry Harrison Jr. Uh, you know, maybe he's the guy. But quite frankly, I've never, I had never heard any rumblings that the Yankees had their eye on somebody out there as Girardi's mm-hmm. replacement. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that none of the coaches are getting the job when, when the Yankees send out an email to every other team and say, <laughs> talk to our coaches, you know, take them, here they are. You know, they're basically having a garage sale. They got them out on a, on a table out in front of Yankee Stadium, you know, with price tags on them. So that's, you know, it's not going to be any of them. I mean, quite frankly, who are, the, who are the young guns out there, the young analytic guys that can work with Cashman and also – so you need – all right, here's the guy you need. You need a guy with, with a, a, a good grasp of analytics who buys into, you know, Cashman and his staff system. You need a guy who is level-headed in a game and doesn't panic. You need a guy who can impart confidence to young players, right? You need a guy who can deal with the relentless media of New York, of which I'm a very proud member, okay? You need a guy who, who has to uh, be able to deal with a fan base for whom, you know, too much is never enough. Now, where is that guy who has all of, those, all of those elements put together? I mean, maybe, you know, Dr. Frankenstein's creating him in a lab right now, but that's a tough guy to find. And if you can find a guy that checks all those boxes, you give me the name. Well, I'll text you his name when I get it. You wrote okay. on Twitter. First of all, you're, you're awesome on Twitter, and you write back to everybody. You go at it with people. You talk about everything. Before I bring you up to the last question, what's changed? Because you've been writing forever. What's changed with the social media, the, the second time instant you said that, gratification? No, because <laughs> exactly I'm curious. Forever, you're all... you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't work, you know, on the Bible. I wasn't there. <laughs> what made you get into Twitter? Like, because you're one of the most interactive guys on Twitter, with such a big following. You enjoy well, the Twitter, obviously, and yeah. 
I'll tell you why. You know, the, the Twitter to me started out as just a way to, you know, to tweet my stories out there and get people to read them. And, uh, you know, we were encouraged to use it when I was at ESPN. But we also used to do this thing called a live chat, which now seems like ancient history. Nobody does live yeah. chats anymore. But we used to do them on ESPN once a week where you could ask me any Yankee questions and I would answer them. And when we did away, I, they did away with it because they realized Twitter is the live chat now, you know. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, when you're covering a baseball game, there's a lot of downtime. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the game, obviously, very closely, and I'm taking notes. But I'm also staring off into space and, and, you know, surfing the web and, you know, doing whatever I'm doing just to pass the time between, you know, 30 seconds while Sonny Gray is adjusting his his sleeves between pitches. So why not? I mean, you know, why not interact with people? What the hell? You know, and I do believe that journalists should be accountable. I mean, you know. One one uh, carp I have with people on Twitter is that very often there's a lot of anonymous people out there who take pot shots and, you know, they know everything after the fact. Journalists put their names on things before the fact, okay? You know, and, and I tell mm-hmm. you what I think, and, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and if I'm right, I'm right, and that's the way it is. But I'm out there. I'm not hiding from anyone, and I think that's important. I think those of us who are, are entrusted, and I think journalism is a, is a very, very important responsibility, Mike. You know, I think, you know, without a free press, a lot of things would go wrong. And I hope we're not going to find out what those things are, you know, in the near future. But I'm just telling you that I think we have a responsibility. If it's our job to bring you the truth about things, we also need to be accountable. So if somebody wants to ask me a question, of course I'm going to answer back. I don't, I'm not in an ivory tower somewhere. I'm, I don't feel I'm, I'm above the fray. But at the same time, if anybody's disrespectful to me or rude or, you know, resorts to personal insults, you damn believe I'm coming back. You mentioned in the beginning of the podcast and also last night on Twitter that A-Rod was one of your favorite Yankees to cover. What made him so awesome to cover? Uh, A lot of things. First of all, he's a great baseball mind, I think, as the world is now learning on on Fox. Uh, He's extremely analytical about baseball. I mean, look, he's... You know, everybody's smart in something. and he, You know, he ain't a genius in a lot of things, but on baseball, he is. And listen, he'd be the first one to admit that. On baseball, he's a genius. And you could ask him, he watched the games very closely, the games that he played in. You could ask him about a play that did not involve him, and he would break it down for you. Um, I, can, I will tell you this, there are a lot of guys on the Yankees who would not do that, including some guys you think might. But you would say to them, and they'd say, hey, man, I wasn't involved in that. You know, I don't want to talk about it. Alex would always explain to you what happened in the game. The other thing is there was something very human about him. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people dislike him. A lot of people think he's arrogant. A lot of people, you know, think he's condescending. And he can be all those things, and we all can. But I will tell you that there's something human about him. He, um, his vulnerabilities are out there. You know, you can tell the things that bother him and the things that don't bother him. And uh, he was the kind of guy that you could sit down with and just have, like, a uh, talk with when he was in the mood for it. In fact, he would generally initiate it. He'd come over and say, hey, man, you know, what do you, did you see this thing that happened last night? Like, yeah, I did, man. Let's talk about it. Um, not a lot of guys will do that. Uh, there's, a, there's pretty much a barrier between a lot of, especially players of his, you know, of his magnitude and the media, and there wasn't that with him. And plus, he's just so unpredictable. He says crazy things. So, you know, in a way, that, that was kind of like Tyson without, you know, without quite – the uh, the threat of violence behind it. <laughs> well, one sports moment, one sporting event you wish you could have covered live. Sporting event in history, covering it live, what would it be? Yeah, um, the um, Dempsey Tunney long count fight in 1927. 
Well, speaking of Dempsey's, that's where I host my podcast from. You're supposed to yeah, come there and do it live. And I, I left out the P. I know. Well, spell it wrong. Don't tell them that because <laughs> it's okay. not the original that's one. That's people why. know. If you're looking for it, it's, it's without the P. <laughs> you do have to come there one time. It's, well, it's free drinks for Wally when he comes there. Well, I would love to. Uh, two more yeah, questions. I, I will drink yeah. them dry, I promise. <laughs> two more questions for you. One, you and I are out at Dempsey's. You want to impress everyone at the bar. Who's the coolest guy in your phone that you can text that would text you back? <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I, <laughs> I just added a I guy like to every... two days ago. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I just added a guy like two days ago. I don't know if it's the coolest guy, but, I, you know, like I was pretty happy to finally have his number after all these years, George Foreman. Oh, that's a great number to have. And he, so if you wrote to George Foreman, he'd probably write back to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, we, that's a, well, I know right, him a long time, but we just never – and I've had his email address for a long time. I've covered him, you know, for 20-some-odd years. But I needed him for a story uh, that I'm doing on Deontay Wilder. And uh, somebody hooked me up with him, and we missed – he tried to call me. And I said, oh, my God, that's a Houston, Texas number. I wonder if that's George. So I called him back, and his voice was, this is George. I said, all right, man, I finally got your number after all these years. So that was cool. That's a really – that's a really good answer. Look, every... right, you want me to brag? I'll brag. All right, I have Tyson's I brag, number. Brag, brag, brag. I have Tyson's number. I have Derek Jeter's office number. I don't have his home number. I have, oh, I have a good one. I have Uncle Junior's number. Who's you know who I'm talking about? Uncle Junior I don't. from The Sopranos. Dominic Chianese, oh, who played Uncle Junior I never, the I never watched it, yeah. Well, the people who listen to you read, definitely watch The Sopranos. He also played Johnny Ola in Godfather 2. He's a great actor, and if anybody sees him on TV, they say right away, oh, my God, there's Uncle Junior. I got his number. I got a few. Just <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I like that you brag because I, I, I asked everyone who's always on my show the coolest person. And you know what? I'll be honest. The Tyson Foreman, those are two of the top ones I've ever The Tyson ones, that's bad. Yeah, I have Larry Holmes also. Mike, I, I have Sugar Ray Leonard. I have a lot of boxes because I did, you know, I was really immersed in that for years. And, well, I know time's an issue, so we're going to finish up with this. One player, baseball player, that you thought was going to be special, and for one reason or another, it just didn't pan out. One guy that you said, this guy's going to be the next great player. When I say this, you're going to fall off your chair, okay? <laughs> How about Ron Swoboda? Do you know who he I'm is? Speechless. I do not. He played for the Mets in the 60s, and his, uh, okay. his rookie season, he had like 15 home runs at the All-Star break, which like in 1966 or 7 was a tremendous amount of home runs. And uh, okay. he hit four the rest of the year, or may have hit like six the rest of his career, but I thought he was <laughs> like another Mickey Mantle. I swear <laughs> to God. This is 15 Well, listen, ago. man, I, <laughs> I really appreciate you calling in. And I mean this. I'll keep in touch with you. You've got to come to Dempsey's one time. We'll have a great show there, and we'll just hang out and stuff, and we can you drink all day. Drinks. We can make fun of people. I, heard you. I promise you. My friend, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you calling in. I'm Mikey. Take care. Thanks, Wally. Really cool to have Wally Matthews on. I, everyone's been reading him. I, I know he joked around because I said forever. He's been a staple in the New York sports columns forever. Forever again. He's going to kill me. He's great. You've got to follow him on Twitter. Oyster. Bay Bomber, common spelling, and he just, like he said, during the day, during any game, he writes back to 100, 200 people nonstop. Great follow. 
He was on ESPN Radio, Wally and the Key. He's great. Anyway, again, before he stops harassing me, Jackie Martling's new book, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. Please buy the book and give it a good rating because once you do that, then he'll stop harassing everyone else. Now, the book is, I'm like, mm, 30% done with it. It's actually really funny. I didn't even get to any of the Howard Stern stuff. The book is good. Jackie's hilarious. You hear him on the show all the time. And as far as the show is concerned, if you enjoyed the show, even if you hate it, just subscribe. So I feel really cool. You can find it on any podcast app by searching Mike Sappho, M-I-K-E-S-A-F-O. We've got a bunch of shows coming up before I take my beautiful girlfriend to Greece and Egypt in a few days. But before that, we'll try to tape some shows so I can keep everyone entertained or bored, whatever. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Wally Matthews, thank you, sir. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Ooh, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.